Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Today we're starting a new series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Would you say it with me? On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And the big idea, the big theme for our series this year at Easter is this. The events of Easter are not only good news for when we die, but it's good news while we live. Is that good news? Like, like Easter is not just some story about the future in heaven, someplace in the future. It's about the change that it makes in our life today. And so that's what Easter is about. And the mission of Jesus is not just about saving humanity from sin, but also establishing his kingdom rule here on this earth right now and right today. So we're going to be taking the next few weeks to honor Jesus and to look afresh, look anew at the Easter message and the cross and the resurrection and the eternal effect that this one event has had on all of humanity and also has had on us, each one of us, man, woman and child, individually. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this morning. Let us meet with you. Holy Spirit, speak through your holy scriptures. God, let us get a greater revelation of all you've done for us at Easter in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that we're in this place and we're about to take a poll. I don't know if you've ever been part of a poll where people ask you questions. They're trying to get information about a certain topic. And so I want you to maybe close your eyes right now. And let's just imagine we're going to take a poll. And maybe it's an electronic poll. There's some little computer device in front of you and you're going to push A, B, C or D. Or maybe it's a piece of paper and you're just going to write down some responses. But here's the questions. Here's the first question of the poll. The first question is this. What was the main theme of Jesus' teaching? What was the main theme of Jesus' teaching? And actually, it's not multiple choice. It's, it's actually you write the response. And see, you could respond like this. You could say that it was how to be saved and how to go to heaven. That could be a response. You could be, have another response that might say it was how to be a good moral person. This is why Jesus came. This is the themes of his teaching. We could follow that up with another question in this poll. Equally as important, it says this. What was the point of Jesus' death and resurrection? It's a good question. Like, what was the purpose? What was the reason that Jesus died and and rose again? And so over the next coming weeks, we're going to unpack this and look at this in in, in greater detail. And here's what we need to realize about our faith, this Christian faith that we have. Over the last centuries, over the last period of time, we've noticed that there is a dramatic shift in the perception and the way that people view uh, religion in our society and the practice of religion in the West. And one of the greatest challenges that we can face today in our Western society here in Australia is the challenge of our Christian faith and what we call the secularization of culture and the privatization of faith. And you might be saying, what does that mean? Well, it means this. There was a period of time uh, uh, quite a while ago where where religion... And being part of your public life was just normal. There are men that we know about, women that we know about, who painted chapels, who, who wrote books, who, who did art, who their faith, their belief in Jesus was closely related to what they did. And yet we find that as time goes on, that it's now been relegated to the private, to the personal, to the hidden. And we can see an example in this in, in recent times where 
our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and, you know, what you think about him, the political party that you follow, you know, we're not here to make any statements of that today, but he does profess to be a Christian person, a Christian man. We find that when he went to a Christian conference back in 2021, last year, there was a lot of outrage There was a lot of talk and discussion about it. There was a lot of scorn and abuse. And the main theme was, keep your religion to yourself. The main words that people were saying was, keep it to yourself. And the underlying response was, religion is okay as long as it is private, personal and invisible. Like Scott, Mr. Prime Minister, we don't mind if if you believe in Jesus, but we don't want you to talk about it in the public domain. We don't want to hear about it on Monday when we go to the office. We don't, we don't mind that you have a faith. We don't mind even maybe that you might have some religious holidays. That's, that's, that might be okay. But we don't want to hear about it on the Monday. We don't want it to be brought out into the public. The problem is that as, as Christians, as maybe we sort of, as maybe as we step back and maybe we start to allow this kind of privatization of our faith kind of invade our mindsets, And the way that we think, what we find is that a privatized faith creates a kingdomless Christianity. And this privatized faith is in the way that we view the world and view how we should do life. And it's how that we think that we should live. And and we read the scriptures, in particular the four gospels, and we, we filter them through that view. And so we read the, few, the first four Gospels of Jesus Christ, which are the, the story and the teachings and the, the accounts of the life of Jesus. And we understand and we interpret that the teachings of Jesus are all about the personal. They're all about my personal faith. They're all about my salvation. They're all about uh, the condition of my soul and they're all about to make my life better. And the four Gospels become this story of the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ with just a really long introduction. Like, like there's a long introduction before we get to those events. And, 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 and the question I ask is, is the death and resurrection of Jesus so vital to our salvation, so vital to this faith? It's what differentiates us from every religion in the world. Our Savior is risen. He's alive. But I wonder if maybe there might be something a little bit more that we've overlooked in the Easter story, in the Easter message. Today, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 1. And we're going to spend a little time looking at this to see if there's something more. And it's the very start of the ministry of Jesus Christ here in Mark. And it says this later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Would you say that with me? God's good news. News. I'm going to wrap, unwrap something today about good news that maybe you haven't heard before. It's going to be great. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes. The very first thing he says is, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. We believe that Mark was probably the earliest account of the, of the eyewitness account of Jesus' starting of his ministry. And we notice that the very first thing that Mark records in the very first sentence, the very first passage, and, and the sentence that, that summarizes all of the subsequent teachings of Jesus is this, is this idea, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near, he says. The kingdom of God is near. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come. 
it's arrived, it's now. It's not some future thing, it's here, it's right now, it's, it's happening. I am fulfilling the kingdom of God coming. And we see in Matthew 4, it's a similar thing. It says this, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. God's kingdom has come, God, God is here, God is near. And Luke as well, we see in verse 4, it records a similar thing, Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news, it's good news. And see, the Gospels tell us that, yes, Jesus came to save humanity from our sins, to save us from a future separated from God. Jesus came to do all those things. But it also tells us more than that, much more. It tells us that the aim and purpose and teachings of Jesus was Him to come and say, Hey, the God of Israel is declaring that the King has come. He is here right now. I am the Messiah, the one that you have been looking for. The kingdom of God has come. And it's not about establishing and building the kingdom sometime in the future. I'm going to start to do that now. See, when you look at Jesus through the lens of kingdom, the way of seeing the kingdom has come, you see the Gospels in a fresh perspective. And Easter has added meaning. Not, not new meaning, just added meaning to the message that we already know. See, we look at the incarnation, Jesus, God come as man, and he comes and he fulfills God's promises to Israel that there would be a king on the throne whose kingdom would reign forever. Jesus comes and he fulfills that. The 12 disciples echo the 12 tribes of Israel and symbolize that God is bringing his people to a new phase of human history. We see the healings are not just a way to draw a crowd. This is God saying that in my kingdom, there is health, there is wholeness, there is healing in people's lives. The Sermon on the Mount, not just a ethical teaching, but maps out what life looks like in God's kingdom. All the things that it says in the Sermon on the Mount. The crucifixion, a sign above Jesus' head. There was a sign to mock him that said, Jesus, the King of the Jews, what was actually fulfilled there was prophecy because he is the King of the Jews and the King of the Gentiles. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. His resurrection, a victorious triumph over the rival kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the devil. Jesus has victory, a kingdom that is ruled by the tyranny of sin and death. Do you, the kingdom we are in is about life and freedom. Uh, his return, the final phase of the kingdom when everything will be brought under the rule and reign of Jesus. And God delivers his justice, his mercy and his grace upon the earth. See, the Easter message is not just a message of let's leave earth and go to heaven. Easter is not just about let's hide in our church buildings until Jesus comes back and then we're going to go to heaven. The Easter message is a message of on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the Easter message. And New Testament scholar and historian John Dominic Croson, he said this about the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God was a standard expression for what this world would look like. When God sat on Caesar's throne or if and when God lived in Antipas's palace, the, king of God was a, the kingdom of God was about the will of God for this earth here below. It is about the transformation of this world into holiness, not the evacuation of this world into heaven. 
Jesus comes to bring heaven to earth. We're not waiting for us to experience heaven there. God says that his kingdom has come and is being established now. So what does the Bible mean when it says kingdom? There's some challenges that we face because here in Australia, we don't really talk kingdom. We don't really talk, use that kind of language. We talk about democracy. We talk about those types of things. We don't really do kingdom. But in the English language, kingdom refers to a physical location with a physical border. So, you know, the kingdom of Australia, we have our physical location and our physical borders. And in Matthew's gospel, he, he can use the, the, the word the kingdom of heaven, like I said earlier. And it might lead us to believe that it's talking about someplace in the sky or someplace in the spirit realm or someplace, you know, out there in the future. But, there's a, but the Greek word for kingdom, which is velasia, is more faithfully translated as royal power. Royal power. So when, when it talks about kingdom in the Bible, it's less about a place and more about the activity of ruling. Less about a place and more about the activity of ruling. And see, when a new emperor ascended the throne in antiquity, when a new king ascended the throne, there was a proclamation of, get this, good news that used to go out into the empire, into the kingdom, to say there is a new person ruling there is going to be possibly a new way we are going to do things. It was a proclamation of good news. This is not a religious term. This is a term that people in society knew very well at the time of Christianity. That's why when they say good news, they knew what they meant. They were like, oh, good news. What, a new proclamation? There's a new kingdom that has come? There's, there's a new way of doing life? What, what are you talking about? The good New, see, it's, it's a kingdom of goodness. It's a kingdom of new way to, life, to live. It's a new way to be human because Jesus runs his kingdom very, very differently. Very, very differently. See, see, it's a kingdom where the values that worldly kingdoms use to maintain their position of power, coercion, uh, uh, abuse, and, and, and violence and greed are shunned. And it's a kingdom where the values that worldly kingdoms despise humility, meekness, servanthood, selfless love are the very core of how Jesus does things. The very core, it's, 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 it's flipped on its head. And this kingdom would not seek to overthrow the Roman Empire or carve out a new place to live in the Middle East, but rather it would lay claim to the only territory the only territory that, that, it, that no government or ruler can access. It would, it would go to a place, the most rebellious and untamable domain on this earth. It would be a kingdom established in the hearts of men and women. It's not a physical place. It is in our hearts. And no kingdom, no ruler could ever tame the heart. No man has ever been able to do that except Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit comes in and takes over our hearts. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10.9, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart, see He came for your heart, He came for your heart that, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And entering the kingdom of God is about surrendering our will 
It's not like those other kingdoms where we, where we I don't know, we, we get a passport or we get a, a driver's license or we say that we're, we're a citizen of this kingdom. It's not like that. It's a place where God says, if you would surrender your will to my rule, in doing that, you can enter my kingdom. You can come into this place. You're invited to participate in my kingdom building project here on earth to reach men and women to reach this world that so desperately needs to know me. Albert Schweitzer said this, French theologian, philosopher, philanthropist, and winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, sounds like me, said this, this miracle might happen to us before, this miracle must happen to us before it can happen in the world. We dare not set our hope on our own efforts to create the conditions of God's kingdom in the world. We must indeed labor. For, the, for its realization, but there can be no kingdom of God in the world without the kingdom of God in our hearts. If you're looking for God to change the world around you, can I say something? Make sure that you've letting God change your heart first. It's out of the overflow of God's kingdom in our hearts that He will then overflow into the world to make a change and a transformation out there. So what does that mean for us? What does kingdom mean for us? See, when we understand that the kingdom is not a place we go, it's not a place we go. It's a place that's inside our hearts, but the reign of Christ in our lives and living under that reign, then we can truly pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. The prayer in, in, in the Gospels, the prayer in Matthew 6, where he says, in this manner, pray. And I'm sure we all know it. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer. God, your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We're not waiting to get to heaven to experience your kingdom. We want your kingdom here in our lives and on this earth. And see, our message to the world is not only come to Jesus and be saved from your sin, Come to Jesus and be saved from eternal damnation. Come to Jesus and you can escape God's wrath and experience heaven someday in the future and the glory of that place and how it's going to be magnificent and gold-paved streets and mansions and whatever your theology is. The message is also come and live and see the new way of living of God's kingdom here on earth right now. It's a message that says come and see how we live. Come and see how we do our marriages. Come and see how we parent our children. Come and see how we do business. Come and see how we do a God in our churches. And maybe that's a challenge to us today because maybe there's not a lot of God's kingdom in the way that we're living our lives. And maybe the example is not the example they want to see, but you know what? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. Move in my life. Because we invite people to see, see how Jesus runs his kingdom, taste and see that the Lord is good. And as we refuse to allow our faith to remain private, and as we refuse to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to allow, I'm just going to live a life with no influence for Jesus in my world, and instead choose to adopt a kingdom mentality in all that we do, then and only then will we see transformation in this world. Only then will we say, no, I'm not going to live the private, 
personal, hidden faith of Jesus Christ. You need to have a personal relationship, yes, but it doesn't stop there. I'm going to go out and say, God's kingdom, come upon my family, come upon my workplace, come upon my neighborhood. God, your kingdom come on earth, and only then we'll be able to say, on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what it means to be a Christian. This is our DNA. This is what the the church is all about. This is our heritage as Christians. 2,000 years of bringing change and transformation to a world that doesn't need, know that it needs change and transformation. The keys could come. And you might be sitting there today and you might be saying to yourself, how has the church brought transformation to the world? How has the church made a difference in the world. Well, there's one really radical transformation, obviously outside of bringing Jesus Christ to people's lives. But, you know, to the world out there, there's one radical transformation that has occurred directly because of the church, directly because of men and women like you, directly because of of Christians. And it was the change in attitudes towards the care of the poor, the needy, the less fortunate. And see, in classical Rome and Greece, no thought was given to the plight of the needy. Like the, out of sight, out of mind. In fact, the gods, the, the, you know, if you read the mythology of the Greeks and the Romans, the gods despised the poor, looked down, looked, despised them. There was, the, the starving deserved no sympathy. There was no pity towards them. And in fact, it was seen as a weakness, as unwise to do that. And any assistance that was given to anyone less fortunate than you was only ever done to increase your political Influence to increase your standing in society was always done with ulterior motives. And yet, and you can go home and you can Google all this. This, 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 is, this is what actually happened. And yet, in 329 AD, the culture has been completely transformed by the way that the church is living God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and completely caring for people. And the church's reputation for charity was so strong that it was in that year that the imperial officials decided to give the church tax-exempt status. And today you hear a lot of discussion and a lot of talk about the tax-exempt status of the church. Can I tell you the reason for that was because it was the church that was doing the work that the government should have been doing. It was the church. That, that, like This is not the church saying this. This is Roman officials who hated the church. They, they, they made a decision that, that, that uh, it was entirely practical. Who else is going to look after the destitute? And the legislation says this. It said this. The wealthy must be there to support the obligations of the secular world while the poor are maintained by the wealth of the churches. That was the actual legislation as written. Long before anyone thought of state-sponsored welfare, long before any of those things, long before there were charitable services in the Western world, the church was there, standing there, helping people, caring for the needy, because we believe on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. Some 40 years later, Emperor Flavius Claudius Julianus, what's a weird name, hey? One of the last pagan Roman empires, He's had this to say. In fact, he lamented. He was distraught to admit this, but he said this, how apparent to everyone it is and how shameful that our own people, 
When he says our own people, he's talking about people who believe that that the Greek Roman religions lack support from us. He says our own people, we don't even support them. We don't even care for them. And then he says, yet no Jew ever has to beg. And the Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. He says, like, this is, this, is, this is shame that the church who I hate, who I despise, is caring for my people more than our, my, I am caring for them ourselves. In fact, it actually, if you read the history, he actually set up a special fund to go out there and say, hey, I don't really care about the needy, but I'm establishing a special fund for the destitute, the needy, because I want to try to counteract the good work, the good news of the Christians. I want to counteract the church. In less than four centuries, Christians living under the reign of Jesus had completely transformed the culture, completely changed attitudes towards the poor, and it was by men and women living the values of God's kingdom here on earth, living the values and attitudes that transformed not only a region, but transformed the culture of an entire empire. And today it's by men and women living out the values of the kingdoms of today that we will see the transformation of our culture, that we will see the transformation of our world as we say on earth as it is in heaven. And church, this is good news God's kingdom has come. It's good news. It's a proclamation. See, the kingdom of God has come for your marriage. It's good news. The kingdom of God has come for your health. It's good news. The kingdom of God has come for your finances. It's good news. The kingdom of God has come to your family. The kingdom of God has come to this church. It is good news. And this is the good news of Easter. As I finish up this morning, God is not finished with this earth. Something miraculous has happened. Jesus has risen and all the good of the kingdom of God is finally breaking into this world. Let's pray. God, today, we thank you. We give you praise. Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for that, Jesus. This morning, God, I thank you today. We are not waiting for the day when we get to heaven to experience God's heaven, to experience God's kingdom. God, your kingdom is here and it is now. God, I just pray today that there would be a revelation for us, for those of us here who believe in Jesus, for those of us here who Confess that you are Lord. I just pray today again a renewing, a refreshing again, Jesus, to realize that your kingdom has come. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is now. Jesus preached that message 2,000 years ago. And the message is as true today as it was back then. God's kingdom He came to establish His kingdom, not in an earthly realm, not in an earthly place, but in the hearts of us, in the hearts of men and women. And as God's kingdom comes in our hearts, it overflows into the world and changes us, changes the world around us. Jesus, today, I just pray. Maybe you're here this morning and 
Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I, I need to get more of God's kingdom into my, into my heart. I need, to, I need to hand over my heart to Him more. I need to be living a life where, where God's kingdom is in my marriage. God's kingdom is in my relationships. I am experiencing God's kingdom when I'm walking down the street or driving my car to drop off the kids at school, whatever it might be. You might be a Christian for a short time or a long time. Today, I want to say, don't let this just be another message. Hey, that's a great message. We think about it and we leave this place. God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, there's anyone here this morning like that? I just pray right now you're moving, God. 